Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Iris today. This is the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Friday, January 19th. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Let's take a look at the weather forecast and hold on to your hats for this one. Our forecast comes from KCRG-TV. Expect another period of very cold temperatures to finish out the work and school week and kick off the weekend. Slick roads remain likely across most of eastern Iowa this weekend, especially along and south of U.S. Highway 20. Watch out for snow and ice-covered pavement, and make sure to give yourself extra time to get to work or school this morning. Rapid improvement in road conditions is not likely again today due to the cold temperatures present in eastern Iowa. Allow extra stopping distance at intersections and between you and the car in front of you, and just slow down generally. Open areas may also see some patchy blowing snow where new snow fell. A wind chill advisory is in effect this morning, and again this evening into Saturday morning. This accounts for the likelihood of wind chills of at least minus 15 to minus 25 degrees during these times. This type of cold can cause frostbite to expose skin in 15 minutes or less, as well as hypothermia after prolonged exposure, if not properly dressed. You should cover up any exposed skin before going out and dress in loose-fitting layers to help keep your body warm. Brisk northwest winds are the big cause of the very cold wind chills this morning, with speeds of 10 to 20 miles per hour and occasional gusts higher than that. Those types of winds stick with us throughout much of Friday with a slow trend toward lighter winds overnight. Skies will start clear around eastern Iowa, but some areas of clouds may develop throughout the day. Air temperatures warm toward the mid-single digits above zero by afternoon. Skies will turn clearer again tonight, allowing for a pretty good temperature fall. Lows overnight will be in the mid-tens below zero, with wind chills falling toward minus 20 to minus 30. Conditions improve a bit again by the afternoon, but wind chills will stay below zero. Plan on keeping those cold weather precautions going through Sunday morning, as air temperatures once again fall into the mid-tens below zero for one more night. Southerly winds on Sunday will be the key to getting our temperatures back well above zero, with highs in the upper tens to low twenties. Winds will be strong enough, though, to keep wind chills lagging behind and cutting into those temperature gains. Still, this time of year, and with this much snow on the ground, you really need some help to warm up. Those winds will be our help. The work and school week should start out dry on Monday, but our first disturbance arrives by Monday evening into Tuesday. This system will bring the threat for some rain or wintry mix to the area. With our deep snowpack, it may be hard to get temperatures above freezing initially, which could introduce the threat for some freezing rain as the precipitation moves in. However, the details on this aren't quite clear yet this far out. Additional chances for some precipitation, whether rain or rain and snow mix, return now and then for the rest of next week. Temperatures will be in the 30s 
with many areas staying in the 30s both day and night, with a lot of cloud cover contributing to the narrow temperature range. Fog will also become a possibility during this time, thanks to the increased amounts of moisture around and any melting snow. On the front page of the Courier today, the lead article is DOJ, Police Fumbled in Uvalde School Shooting. New report identifies cascading failures in response to the massacre. This coming from the Associated Press. And the article begins with a photograph showing four policemen in uniform walking with determined looks toward the camera. And the dateline is Uvalde, Texas. Police officials who responded to the deadly Uvalde, Texas elementary school shooting waited far too long to confront the gunmen, acted with no urgency in establishing a command post, and communicated inaccurate information to grieving families, according to a Justice Department report released Thursday that identified cascading failures in law enforcement's handling of the massacre. The Justice Department report, the most comprehensive federal accounting of the maligned police response to the May 24, 2022 shooting at Robb Elementary School, catalogs a sweeping array of training, communication, leadership, and technology problems that federal officials say contributed to the crisis lasting far longer than necessary. All the while, the report says, terrified students inside the classrooms called 911 and agonized parents begged officers to go in. Quote, had law enforcement agencies followed generally accepted practices in active shooter situations, and gone right after the shooter and stopped him, lives would have been saved and people would have survived, Attorney General Merrick Garland said Thursday at a news conference in Uvalde after Justice Department officials briefed family members on the findings of the investigation. Even for a mass shooting that has already been the subject of intense scrutiny and in-depth examinations. An earlier report by Texas lawmakers, for instance, faulted law enforcement at every level with failing, quote, to prioritize saving innocent lives over their own safety. Nearly 600-page Justice Department report adds to the public understanding of how officers failed to stop an attack that killed 19 children and two staff members. The flawed initial response was compounded in the following days by an ineptitude that added to family members' anguish, according to the report. One family member spent hours pulling glass out of an injured son's body because some of the surviving children were not screened for medical care. A county district attorney told families that they would need to wait for autopsy results before death notifications were made prompting some to yell, quote, What? Our kids are dead? No, no, unquote. Hospital staff, untrained in delivering painful news, told some family members that their loved ones died, while in other cases, families received incorrect information suggesting that a child survived when they had not. At one point, an official told waiting families that another bus of survivors was coming, but that was untrue. 
quote, mirroring the failures of the law enforcement response, state and local agencies failed to coordinate, leading to inaccurate and incomplete information being provided to anxious family and community members and the public, said Associate Attorney General Vanita Gupta. The law enforcement response was massive, comprising at least 380 personnel from 24 local, county, state, and federal agencies. The problems began almost immediately with a flawed assumption by officers that the shooter was barricaded or otherwise contained, even as he continued to fire shots. That mindset permeated throughout much of the incident response as police, rather than rushing inside the classrooms to end the carnage, waited more than an hour to confront the gunman in what the report called a costly lack of urgency. The gunman, Salvador Ramos, was killed about 77 minutes after police arrived on the scene, when a tactical team finally went into the classroom to take him down. Quote, An active shooter with access to victims should never be considered and treated as a barricaded subject, the report says, with the word never emphasized in italics. In other errors, the report says police acted with no urgency in establishing a command center, creating confusion among police about who was in charge. Then school district police chief Pete Arandando discarded his radios on arrival, deeming them unnecessary. Though he tried to communicate by phone with officers in the school hallway, quote, unfortunately, on multiple occasions, he directed officers intending to gain entry into the classroom to stop because he appeared to determine that other victims should first be removed from nearby classrooms to prevent further injury, unquote. Uvalde, a community of more than 15,000, about 85 miles southwest of San Antonio, continues to struggle with the trauma left by the killings and remains divided on the issue of accountability. Uvalde County District Attorney Christina Mitchell says she's still considering whether to bring criminal charges. President Joe Biden said in a statement Thursday that the report identified, quote, multiple points of failure that hold lessons for the future, and that no community should have to go through what Uvalde did. In Texas, Republican Governor Greg Abbott initially praised the officer's courage, saying the reason the shooting was not worse is because law enforcement officials did what they do, and that they were brave in, quote, running toward gunfire for the singular purpose of trying to save lives, unquote. That narrative crumbled under scrutiny as a report from a panel of state lawmakers and investigations by journalists laid bare how a mass of officers went in and out of the school with weapons drawn, but didn't enter the classroom where the shooting was taking place. Quote, the actions of the responding officers, combined with a heroic storyline that started with a spokesperson for the Texas Department of Public Safety, and continued the next day during the governor's and director's news conference, dealt a serious blow to public confidence in local and state law enforcement the report states. The city of Uvalde said in a statement that it requested the federal investigation 
and fully cooperated with it, and already implemented changes in leadership, new personnel, new training, and new equipment, unquote. Now we have a story from one of the Courier's journalists, Tom Barton. Lawmakers advance stiffer penalties for swatting calls, Dateline Des Moines, knowingly reporting fake information about serious crimes to law enforcement agencies in Iowa would be a felony under legislation advanced Wednesday in the Iowa House. Last March, calls were made warning about shootings happening in at least 30 Iowa schools, including East High School in Waterloo. State public safety officials quickly determined they were fake. Jose Ragler, legislative liaison with the Iowa Department of Public Safety, said there were 39 swatting incidents in the 2022-23 school year in Iowa, compared with four reported incidents the year before. Later Wednesday, several eastern Iowa schools, including in Marion, West Branch, and Cascade, all reported threats that turned out to be hoaxes. That was Wednesday this week. Quote, Swatting refers to individuals making a false report of a serious crime, such as a hostage situation, a bomb threat, or active shooter, with the goal of drawing out a large law enforcement response and create chaos and fear at the location. Quote, it's a problem nationwide, Ragler told lawmakers, so much so that the FBI created a national database to track reports of swatting across the country. Quote, our purpose really is to try to deter bad actors from tying up emergency resources and trying to keep the public and emergency response agencies safe, Wagler said. In Iowa, knowingly reporting false information about a crime to law enforcement officials is a misdemeanor. The Iowa Department of Public Safety is proposing to increase that penalty to a felony if it involves false reports of a forcible felony, such as murder, sexual abuse, kidnapping, robbery, and arson, someone brandishing a dangerous weapon, an act of terrorism, or a bomb threat. Under House Study Bill 545, knowingly reporting to law enforcement officials false information about certain serious crimes would be a Class D felony, which is punishable up to five years in prison and a fine between $1,025 and $10,245. If the false report results in another person's serious injury or death, the penalty increases to a Class C felony punishable by up to 10 years in prison and a fine between $1,370 and $13,660. In a letter accompanying the proposal, the Public Safety Department says Wisconsin, Ohio, and New York recently increased their penalties for swatting. The Iowa League of Cities, Iowa Emergency Management Association, Iowa Chapter of the National Emergency Number Association, and the Iowa Chapter of the Association of Public Safety Communications Officials, which represents Iowa's 911 dispatchers, are registered in support of the bill. Quote, Our folks are already really busy and overburdened with calls, so let's make sure those calls are actual emergencies 
and not hoaxes, said Nick Lanning, a lobbyist representing the Iowa Emergency Management Association and 911 Dispatchers Association. Eric Gorenson, a lobbyist representing the Iowa Emergency Medical Services Association, questioned how the bill would address people who make unnecessary but not dangerous or illegal calls to 911. State Representative Brian Meyer, a Democrat from Des Moines, said he initially was concerned that children who prank call 911 or adults with mental illness who make false reports could be charged with a felony. But he noted the bill makes a distinction based on the seriousness of the falsely reported criminal act. Reporting false information about a crime to law enforcement officials not considered to be swatting would remain a misdemeanor. Quote, I'm very supportive of the concept, and I just want to make sure we don't get people caught up in the bow wave of doing something stupid versus being very malicious and intentional about it, which I think this bill addresses, Meyer said, quote, but I still think it's going to be very difficult to find these people, but I'm very supportive of the concept, unquote. Swatting threats typically are made anonymously or through false identities. Meyer and State Representatives Zach Dyken, Republican from Granville, and Dean Fisher, Republican of Montour, signed off on the bill, moving it forward to the House Public Safety Committee. Iowa's Attorney General sues TikTok for misleading parents. The story was written by Caleb McCullough, Dateline Des Moines. Iowa Attorney General Brenna Bird sued the popular social media app TikTok on Wednesday, alleging the app is, quote, misleading parents, unquote, by hosting sexual content and profanity while maintaining a 12-plus rating on Apple's App Store. Bird argues in the lawsuit that TikTok bits represents the availability and volume of sexually explicit content, profanity, and content relating to drug use on the app. Quote, TikTok has sneaked past parental blocks by misrepresenting the severity of its content, Bird said in a statement. Quote, but no longer, as a mom and prosecutor, I am committed to equipping parents with information to keep their kids safe and to holding TikTok accountable, unquote. The 61-page lawsuit is redacted in many places because it includes details about an investigation into the app by Bird's office, according to court records. It was filed with the Polk County District Court. In the explanation of TikTok's 12-plus rating, the Apple App Store says it includes infrequent, mild profanity or crude humor, sexual content, and nudity, and mature, suggestive themes. TikTok was the most downloaded app in 2022, and it has more than 140 million U.S. users. Billions of videos were uploaded to the app each year. It has a content moderation process that includes automated reviews of uploaded videos and human moderation. According to the community guidelines, content not allowed on TikTok involves violence and hateful behavior, harassment and bullying, nudity, 
and sexual explicit content and graphic content. TikTok requires that a person be 13 to use the app, and it has age-restricted mode for people under 18. Its website says it limits overtly mature content for minors. Quote, TikTok has industry-leading safeguards in place for young people, including parental controls and time limits for those under 18, a TikTok spokesperson said in an email. Quote, we are committed to tackling industry-wide challenges and will continue to prioritize community safety, unquote. But Bird's lawsuit argues those content moderation policies are not enforced properly. The lawsuit alleges the age-restricted mode restricts very little content, and videos violating the policies are easily accessible by someone as young as 13. Quote, the community guidelines are misrepresentations, deceptions, and false promises because they mislead many users by creating a net impression that these kinds of content are unavailable on TikTok and, in particular, that they are unavailable to minors, the lawsuit says. According to the lawsuit, the state used a test account to find videos that would be available to a minor on the app. The state says they viewed content with profane song lyrics, references to alcohol and drugs, and videos of women dancing in bikinis. The state also said videos referencing suicide and eating disorders were presented on the Test Accounts For You page, the home page on the app. The lawsuit argues the alleged misrepresentation of the app's content leads parents to unwittingly allow their children to use the app without knowing the content available. Parents often use parental controls to restrict apps with mature ratings for their children, the lawsuit argues, and TikTok's rating allows it to be downloaded in those cases. The lawsuit argues TikTok is intentionally misrepresenting its content in violation of the state's Consumer Fraud Act. The state is asking the court to grant financial compensation and block TikTok from engaging in deceptive practices. TikTok has long been under scrutiny by government regulators over concerns about its impact on children's mental health and its ownership by ByteDance, a Chinese media conglomerate. Bird joined a multi-state effort last year to investigate the company and its impact on children's mental health, as well as whether it violated state consumer protection laws. <laughs> Iowa's Chuck Grassley released from hospital after being treated for infection. Story written by Tom Barton of the Courier's Des Moines Bureau. Iowa Republican U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley has been discharged from a Washington, D.C. area hospital where he had been treated for an infection, according to a statement from his office. The brief statement says the 90-year-old expects to be back to work next week. Grassley has been receiving antibiotic infusions for an unspecified infection, his office said in a news release issued Tuesday. The release said Grassley, quote, is in good spirits and planned to return to work as soon as possible following doctor's orders and was expected to make a full recovery. In January 2023, Grassley underwent surgery for a hip fracture. 
He told reporters at the time he injured himself while doing a stupid thing in the kitchen of his Washington, D.C. townhouse. Quote, it didn't work, and I fell and broke my hip, he said. Grassley of New Hartford has represented Iowa in the U.S. Senate since 1981 and in 2022 was re-elected to his eighth six-year term. Waterloo Man Wins $100,000 Lottery Prize Story written by Courier Staff Waterloo A Waterloo man has won a $100,000 lottery prize. Sul Joe Sinanovic won the 10th top prize in the Iowa Lottery's $100,000 Mega Crossword Scratch Game. He purchased his winning ticket at Neighborhood Mart, 2100 Lafayette Street in Waterloo, and claimed his prize on January 5th at the Lottery's Cedar Rapids Regional Office. The $100,000 Mega Crossword Game is a $10 scratch game that features 46 top prizes of $100,000, 92 prizes of $10,000, and overall odds of 1 in 3.29 million. For more information about this game and the number of prizes still available, visit ialottery.com. Substitute teacher shortage forces early dismissals for prep time at Waterloo schools. Story written by Angela Sturm-McGoughlin. Waterloo Community Schools will dismiss two hours early on Friday and three other days this semester to give teachers preparation time they have sacrificed to cover hundreds of empty classrooms caused by a substitute teacher shortage. In addition to Friday, early dismissals are planned March 1st, April 19th, and May 17th. On December 30th, Superintendent Jared Smith mentioned the early dismissals in a post on X, breaking news, due to a sub-shortage, WCSD teachers have been asked to give up planning time to cover hundreds of empty classrooms. To offset this loss and future losses, WCSD has announced four two-hour early dismissals during second semester, unquote. The dismissals will give the gift of time, Smith stated. Quote, At our November meeting, we brought the topic of teacher overload up, she said. Teachers are feeling the stress of working a lot outside of contract hours. Many teachers sub during their planning times. Our daily sub-fill rate is around 40% district-wide. Quote, we were also learning new curriculum and grading programs. Because of this, teachers are finding a hard time balancing family and work. Dr. Smith was very receptive to our concerns, Bueller said. Ashley Chase, a 7th grade teacher at Central Middle School, said dealing with the shortage is all about balance. Quote, teachers are subbing all the time and consistently going without their contracted planning time. Chase said, quote, I think it's a great trade-off. We have this sacred time with no meetings planned. This time is dedicated for you to plan. For someone like me, I give up my planning time to often pull students for a test or reteach them something. I'm totally okay with this, unquote. Smith said the program is similar to something he implemented at South Tama County Community Schools where he previously served as superintendent. 
He said teacher recruitment is a top priority for Waterloo schools, but difficulty finding teachers is not exclusive to the district. Quote, the issues filling certain positions have been ongoing post-COVID, Smith said. During the 2020-2021 school year, we had more and more retirements. Quote, we are recruiting as hard as we can and really kneeling on UNI and other colleges in recruitment efforts. This is not something that is unique to Waterloo, he noted. Our issues are more manageable than others. Are we doing a good job? Yes. Are we making do? Also yes. Bowler commended Smith on the changes and his transparency on the issue. Quote, We want Waterloo to become a destination district, she said. Dr. Smith has done an amazing job listening to his teachers and staff and giving us a voice. They appreciate that district leadership recognizes that, with the recent snow days, both parents and teachers were very appreciative of his explanations of how decisions were made, unquote. And now, listeners, we'll just take a moment to remind you that you're listening to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Friday, January 19th on IRIS, I-R-I-S, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and the Print Handicapped. Now, this announcement. Kate fell in love with her husband after one date and with her son after one look. And she risked it all by trying meth just one time. Meth never, ever. Visit yourlifeiowa.org, brought to you by the Iowa Department of Public Health. Now let's turn to the opinion section. Our first editorial today comes from the New York Times, What Dentists Wish You Knew, by... Jan C. Dunn. I didn't receive birthday cards from many of my friends, but I do from my dentist. A smiling tooth wishes me a happy birthday, along with a reminder to make an appointment. Yet, I've postponed my last three visits, having somehow convinced myself, like cleaning the gutters on my house, I'll just put it off until there's a problem. This is a mistake, said Tricia Quarterly Sagal a spokeswoman for the American Dental Association and a practicing dentist in Brooklyn. Quote, A lot of people see the absence of pain as an indicator that nothing is going wrong and says, My teeth are fine. I don't need to go, she said. The ADA does not have a set schedule for checkups. Some people need to visit the dentist once or twice a year, while others may require more trips. But what the three dentists I spoke to for this newsletter all agreed on, is that you must go. Often, Dr. Cordy Sagale pointed out, there is no pain at all with periodontal diseases, which are usually caused by an infection of the gums and the bones supporting the teeth, and affect nearly half of adults 30 and older, potentially leading to tooth and bone loss. And the last thing you want is to have to make an emergency appointment when you're in pain. For one thing, she said, what th- when that happens, it is inevitably on a weekend or when you're on a holiday internationally, unquote. Okay, fine. I'm d- visiting my dentist next Tuesday, although I still haven't made an appointment to clean out my gutters. Here, 
are five other things that dentists would like us to know. Your gums should not bleed when you floss. As every dentist you've ever seen has probably said, you should floss daily. It's true that if you slack for a while, you may see a little blood when you restart the habit, said Tian Jang, an instructor in oral health policy and epidemiology at the Harvard School of Dental Medicine. But stick with it. Quote, it's like starting to exercise when you haven't in a while and your muscles ache, she said. I encourage patients to push through that initial period because they need that debris to come out and get back to health, unquote. If your gums have been bleeding for a prolonged period of time, see your dentist, said Purnima Kumar, chair of the Department of Periodontology and Oral Medicine at the University of Michigan School of Dentistry. Quote, Would you be worried if any part of your body bled, she asked. Don't normalize gum bleeding, unquote. Dr. Kumar also suggested that people who have gaps between their teeth use an interdental brush, a small, skinny, absolutely fabulous brush designed to reach the hidden places where bacteria grow. Step away from charcoal toothpastes. Toothpastes containing powdered activated charcoal, marketed as a natural teeth whitener, have grown in popularity in the past few years. But a 2017 study published in the Journal of American Dental Association concluded that while charcoal toothpastes may be fashionable, they do not have a whitening effect. Instead, researchers found that the abrasiveness of charcoal toothpaste could cause tooth hypersensitivity, that particles of charcoal might lodge in gum pockets, causing damage and discoloration, and that few contain fluoride. These toothpastes also leave gray-black smears on your towels. Tellingly, no charcoal toothpastes have received the ADA seal of acceptance, a good resource for vetting products. Instead, Dr. Zhang said whitening toothpastes that receive the seal are good to use every day. You don't need an electric toothbrush. Brush your teeth. Do it twice a day. Against the gum line at a 45-degree angle for two minutes. That's all the ADA says you need to do when it comes to brushing. Both electric and manual toothbrushes work. That said, if you're an enthusiastic brusher, said Dr. Jang, an electric toothbrush with a pressure sensor to tell you to take it down a notch can be helpful, as brushing too forcefully is one of the leading causes of receding gums. The health of your mouth is linked to the health of your body. The mouth and the rest of the body are intimately connected, but in healthcare they are often treated separately, said Nazir Al-Hebshi, a co-director of the Oral Microbiome Research Laboratory at Temple University's Kornberg School of Dentistry. And a growing body of research shows how dental health can affect other parts of the body. Dr. Al-Hebshi listed five diseases for which there is, quote, moderate to strong evidence that periodontal disease may be a contributing factor, including diabetes, certain cancers, and cardiovascular disease. Quote, so if you maintain very good oral health, 
you are at a lower risk of developing cardiovascular complications, for example, he said. People with diabetes who treat their gum disease may even be able to lower their blood sugar over time, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Don't get high before your dental exam. In a 2022 survey of dentists conducted by the ADA, half reported that they had treated patients who were under the influence of marijuana or another drug. Quote, I am seeing this in my office, Dr. Cordy Segal said. One reason patients may self-medicate, she noted, is that they are nervous. But she explained, quote, you can't consent to a treatment if you're high. If patients have anxiety, it could make things worse, and I'm not able to numb people as effectively. A 2019 study of cannabis users undergoing minimally invasive procedures found that a quarter of them had needed twice the anesthesia as patients who didn't partake. Inquire about the options for pain control, if that's what worries you, Dr. Zhang said. For teeth that are particularly sensitive, she added, start brushing a few weeks before your appointment with a desensitizing toothpaste that contains potassium nitrate, as such as Sensodyne. And if you did take a weed gummy before you arrived, tell your dentist. You'll join the 67% of patients in the same ADA survey who reported that they were comfortable talking to their dentist about marijuana. Quote, you know, we're not here to judge, just to provide you with the best care, Dr. Quarty Segale said. Now here's an editorial from the Storm Lake Times pilot, Requiem for the Caucuses. Relief is the immediate feeling in the wake of the Iowa caucuses by those involved. The frozen press corps, the campaigns trying to crack a hard-headed lot, and we residents who could use a respite from all the trash-talking and demonizing. This was probably the last big show. The Democratic caucuses were thrown to the wayside by the National Party, and the Republican process is bound for change despite the determination of state party leaders. Iowa's run as the kickoff state, by all appearances, is finished. That's a good thing and a bad thing. Good in that the caucuses corroded our civic life with the acid of dark money pouring on the state nonstop. Bad in that America loses an important rural filter constructed by discerning caucus goers that forces candidates to meet voters where they are. It allowed candidates like Jimmy Carter, Barack Obama, and Mike Huckabee to break through without money. It's been a lot of fun. We got to meet a lot of political stars. They let us mug into the TV cameras. We had earnest discussion with sincere candidates. We all became political experts. We also became caricatures. Farmers in MAGA hats, feeding on Casey's breakfast pizza, and the government, through angry white people, slightly racist, kind of stupid, and self-defeating. We are all of that. But it's not all that. Quote, why are you so angry? Quote, well, let me tell you, son. It's been a long 50 years of consolidation and decline in Iowa rural county seats. We lost the family farm somewhere along the way, and our self-respect. Do you have a few minutes? No, that'll do. 
Nikki Haley is about to speak on China. New Hampshire is pretty white. Iowa is no more racist than South Carolina. The real issue is where the money can be spent most effectively. Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, Michigan. Iowa is an inconvenience because you have to drive all over the state and its TV markets are inefficient. A lot of wasted eyeballs in Nebraska, South Dakota, Minnesota, and Illinois. Iowa did not mess up the caucus counting and reporting four years ago. A cell phone app did, which was prescribed by the Democratic National Committee. We got blamed for it. Once the smell of hog manure sets in, it is difficult to get out. You live with the narrative that we blundered, because, well, we're country folk who can't organize a hootenanny. It's all okay. It's not as if the whole exercise since 1972 has done Iowa that much good. The reverse is true. The independent livestock producer got buried alongside the meat packing union. Two-thirds of our counties are losing population. The Main Street in Pomeroy literally is falling down. And Iowa Wesleyan University closed in Mount Pleasant. Everyone kneels at the golden calf of corn ethanol, and that's about all the caucuses got done for us. If you're good with ethanol, you're good. Not sure how we will water half the nation's cattle when the aquifer runs dry. Didn't hear a whole lot about crop insurance or a farm bill this year. The caucuses nationalized our politics. They brought us book banning and immigrant bashing. The money and messaging are nonstop and get inside our heads. Lifelong friends from Storm Lake hurl insults at each other on Facebook, set up by the machinations in a D.C. suburb. It's sad and pathetic, because we know we are better than this. When the caucuses leave, so does the cancer of money, or so we could hope. We have become so extreme that a politician like Bob Ray, Fred Grandy, or Berkeley Bedell wouldn't stand a chance today. A lot of that is because of the caucuses. Our polarization is more acute than it otherwise might be, were it not for the shadow of dark money that casts such a pall over us. Last week, especially as the snow flew and the cold set in, we could barely take another analysis about who we are as a state, woven in superficiality and misimpression. The more we dwell on our differences, the wider they appear to have become. Yet we know what Iowans want. A decent job, great schools, clean air and water, safe streets, prosperous agriculture, and neighbors who help each other out when the lane drifts in. With the distraction of the caucuses presumably permanently behind us, we can get back to the real work of self-governance in the spirit of civility. We can become friends and neighbors again, more interested in building community than tearing things apart. The damage is not beyond repair. Now from the New York Times, we have an editorial written by Charles M. Blow. Turning down food aid for millions of children reflects shocking political callousness. Last week, I read something that shocked me, even if it really shouldn't have. Fifteen states, all but one run by Republican governors, skipped the deadline to apply for a new federally funded program 
that will provide $120 per child for groceries during the summer months to families of children who already qualify for free or reduced price lunch at school. Some of those states have some of the highest poverty rates in the country, including Mississippi, with the highest rate, and Louisiana, where I grew up, with the second highest. When Louisiana rejected the lunch program, a Democrat was still governor. On January 8th, a Republican took over. According to KFF, a nonprofit organization focused on health policy, seven of those states, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, South Carolina, Texas, and Wyoming, are among those that have not fully extended Medicaid to the poor under the Affordable Care Act. Imagine withholding funding for food that would keep children healthy while denying people medical care when they get sick. The cruelty of it is almost incomprehensible. But I'm convinced that this is all part of the punitive posture of so many of today's Republicans, which, in this case, is meant to punish poverty, to intensify hardships, their vision of an economic, scared-straight program. I was a child who benefited from summer lunch program. In fact, I didn't know of a child who went to my school who didn't eat free or reduced-priced lunches during the school year or participate in the free summer lunch program. Most of the families I knew seemed to be in poverty or skating just above it, which was the case with my family, as my mother supported a household of six on a paltry teacher's salary. Constantly trying to better our lives and hers, she took evening and summer classes to earn certifications and an advanced degree, and that was when she wasn't teaching night GED classes or summer school. So, the free summer lunch program available to us was helpful to her, but it didn't lift the burden completely. Summer lunch programs were just for that, lunch. They didn't provide breakfast, which only some families could provide during the school year. My family could afford that expense. I doubt that every other family could. Last month, Governor Jim Pillen of Nebraska said his state would reject the new grocery aid funds in favor of the federal summer food service program, and that his state was going to, quote, take care of every one of these kids through the summer feeding them. But, quote, we just want to make sure that they're out, that they're at church camps, that they're at schools, that they're at 4-H, and we'll take care of them at all of the places that they're at so that they're out amongst other people and not feeding a welfare system with food at home, unquote. In a small town like the one where I grew up, there were no summer enrichment programs. We had to keep ourselves busy as parents went off to work, most in neighboring communities. In that way, the school cafeteria where summer lunch was served was more than just a place that served meals. It was also a congregational place where kids could socialize with other kids, where we could fight off the loneliness and isolation. After we'd eaten our lunches, we could disperse to play, girls teaching one another the latest dances, boys playing sandlot basketball, until sunset called us home and parents provided dinner. Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa 
announced in December that her state would reject the new funds, said an EBT card does nothing to promote nutrition at a time when childhood obesity has become an epidemic, unquote. But it has been my experience that when people don't have the money for healthy groceries, they'll scrounge up just enough money for junk, anything filling, because hunger is a vicious beast from whom all want to steer clear. My mother often told us about catching a ride every day to college, which for her was about 20 miles away. And because she couldn't afford lunch like most other students, she would pack a honey bun. It wasn't nutritious, but the high sugar content would make her feel full. These are the choices poor people make. And given them the greatest amount of flexibility to make choices for their families is not only smart policy, it also extends a modicum of respect. But respect for the poor is anathema to some people. And the decisions of these 15 states comes at a time when lower-income families are truly feeling the pinch. During the COVID pandemic, many families received additional food aid, which was tremendously helpful. But now that it has been cut back, one 2023 report found four in ten families who had received that extra benefit are skipping meals. And what may seem to some like a minor scaling back can have devastating consequences for a family. The governors, mostly Republican, putting philosophy over food, are displaying astonishing political callousness. This editorial was written by the New York Times Editorial Board, The Responsibility of Republican Voters. Republicans who gathered to cast the first votes of the 2024 presidential primary season have one essential responsibility, to nominate a candidate who is fit to serve as president, one who will, quote, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States, unquote. Donald Trump, who has proven himself unwilling to do so, is manifestly unworthy. He is facing criminal trials for his conduct as a candidate in 2016, as president and as former president. In this, his third presidential bid, he has intensified his multi-year campaign to undermine the rule of law and the democratic process. He has said that if elected, he will behave like a dictator on day one, and that he will direct the Justice Department to investigate his political rivals and his critics in the media, declaring that the greatest dangers to the nation come not from abroad, but from within. Mr. Trump has a clear path to the nomination. No polling to date suggests he is anything but the front-runner. Yet Republicans in these states still have their ballots to cast. At this critical moment, it is imperative to remind voters that they still have the opportunity to nominate a different standard-bearer for the Republican Party, and all Americans should hope they do so. This is not a partisan concern. It is good for the country when both major parties have qualified presidential candidates to put forward their competing views on the role of government in American society. Voters deserve such a choice in 2024. Mr. Trump's construction of a cult of personality, in which loyalty is the only real requirement, has badly damaged the Republican Party 
and the health of American democracy during the fight over the leadership of the House of Representatives in the fall, for example. Mr. Trump torpedoed the candidacy of Tom Emmer, a lawmaker who voted to certify the 2020 election results, to ensure the ascendancy of Mike Johnson, a loyalist who was an architect of the attempt to overturn that election. Mr. Emmer has since endorsed Mr. Trump, but some Republicans have set an example of integrity, demonstrating the courage to put their convictions and conservative principles above loyalty to Mr. Trump. Examples include people whom he once counted as allies, like former Attorney General Bill Barr, former Governor Doug Ducey of Arizona, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and the evangelical leader Bob Vanderplatz. Voters may agree with the former president's plans for further tax cuts, restrictions on abortions, or strict limits on immigration. That's politics, and the divisions among Americans over these issues will persist regardless of the outcome of this election. But electing Mr. Trump to four more years in the White House is a unique danger, because what remains, what still binds Americans together as a nation, is the commitment to a process, a constitutional system for making decisions and moving forward even when Americans do not agree about the destination. That system guarantees the freedoms Americans enjoy, the foundation of the nation's prosperity and of its security. Mr. Trump's record of contempt for the Constitution and his willingness to corrupt people, systems, and processes to his advantage puts all of it at risk. Upholding the Constitution means accepting the results of elections, Unsuccessful presidential candidates have shouldered the burden of conceding because the integrity of the process is ultimately more important than the identity of the president. Quote, the people have spoken, and we respect the majesty of the democratic system. Unquote. George H.W. Bush, the last president before Mr. Trump to lose a bid for re-election, said on the night of his defeat in 1992, when Mr. Trump lost the 2020 presidential campaign, he sought to retain power by fomenting a violent insurrection against the government of the United States. In 2016, Mr. Trump appealed to many caucus and primary voters as an alternative to the Republican establishment. Voters who favor Mr. Trump's prescriptions now have other options. The Republican Party of 2024 has been reshaped by the former president's populism. Mr. Trump is now distinguished from the rest of the Republican candidates primarily by his contempt for the rule of law. The sooner he is rejected, the sooner the Republican Party can return to the difficult but necessary task of working within the system to achieve its goals. <laughs> Educators and parents react with trepidation the Governor's Plan for Area Education Agencies, story written by Holly Hudson Hill. Shock, frustration, anger, and fear. Those are just some of the reactions to Governor Kim Reynolds' proposal for overhauling the state's area education agencies. In her State of the State address last week, Reynolds announced legislation, Bill 542, 
that could include transferring oversight of the nine AEAs to the Iowa Department of Education, eliminating services, and changing the way the organizations are funded. Margaret Buckton, a lobbyist for the Urban Education Network and Rural School Advocates of Iowa, said, quote, overhaul isn't a strong enough word to describe how the bill would impact area education agencies. Quote, boy, I hope they take their time and find out what parents of students receiving services and community members value in the AEA structure and not make changes flippantly, she said. And now, listeners, that's going to do it for today's reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Friday, January 19th. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. We want to remind you that you can listen to a recording of this reading of The Courier or of the other newspapers around Iowa that we read. Just visit our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. And we want to thank you for listening to your IRIS, Iowa's first and only radio reading service. <laughs>